Hi everyone, I'm Iman. And I'm Carla. And you're listening to Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture. Today's episode is a continuation of an ongoing series of short episodes where Carla and I reflect on 2016 and discuss and rank our favorite pop culture releases. A few days ago, we went over our favorite TV shows. Today, we'll be reviewing our top movies. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to discuss this with you because while I admit it might be a little late for us to be sharing our best of 2016 lists, award season is upon us and going over these top movies definitely feels relevant. But Iman, before we start sharing our lists, why don't we start things out with some broad reflections? Sounds great. Okay, so I think we can both agree 2016 was a very interesting year for a bunch of reasons, and in terms of movie releases, it was similarly unique. Now, I posed this question to you with regard to TV last week, and now I'm, I'm curious to ask this to you again. Iman, in terms of movie releases, how will 2016 be remembered? Hmm... Well, <laughs> you said in terms of movie releases. I mean, I was going to say 2016 is probably not going to be remembered for its movies of all things. But Good point. <laughs> but for 2016, I'd actually say most movies, for me, they were a letdown. Up until the very end of the summer, there really weren't any remarkable releases. I didn't feel particularly compelled to go to the movies, maybe because we didn't live together and come up with consistent excuses to do it for the pod. But for the most part, movies were overshadowed by the amazing television shows that were coming out. Then something did shift towards the end of the summer, where we started seeing this handful of really substantive and exciting releases, the majority of which we're actually going to be discussing in a few minutes, so I'll hold off on mentioning them. What about you, Carla? What are your thoughts? Well, I agree. In terms of movie releases, most of 2016 wasn't all that great. I mean, Iman, think about it. This was the year of Batman v Superman and Suicide oh Squad. Oh my god, I forgot about these. <laughs> I mean, that itself should have been a sign to us of what was to come in November. But yes, things definitely got better. And I'd say... If 2015 was the year of hashtag Oscars so white, a lot of my favorite movies in 2016, like television, shed light on issues of race, identity, and even class. It was a sharp and sobering contrast to previous years, and I was all for it. Same, I'm definitely all for this last leg of the year. Uh, why don't we shift our attention towards the, our top movies list then? Sounds good. Like our episode on favorite television, we're only going to be ranking our top five movies of the year, which means there were a few movies we liked, but were left out on our list. Do you want to start by sharing our honorable mentions? Yeah, I I feel like I saw a lot of movies this year. You saw a lot more than I did this year. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Mike. Um, okay. <laughs> So I do have a couple of honorable mentions. First off, I want to give a quick shout out to the movie Arrival, which is a futuristic science fiction movie in which a linguist played by Amy Adams leads a team of investigators to try and communicate with extraterrestrial visitors. It was beautifully made. 
It was extremely thought-provoking, and it was also edited in a way in which the story was framed like a puzzle. Also, Amy Adams deserves a lot of recognition for this film because she gave an incredibly emotional and heart-wrenching performance. I was definitely moved by this movie. And even though it didn't stay with me as much as some of the other movies we saw last year, it's definitely worth checking out. I'm excited to check it out. It seems like one that I would be even more into than you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Especially with the whole linguistics aspect. And the sci-fi aspect. <laughs> I also feel compelled to give another quick shout out to Zootopia. Ooh. Because as far as Disney animated movies go, this one was absolutely wonderful. And I was amazed at how it handled really sensitive topics like discrimination with level-handed delicacy. It was just great. Yeah, I, I second that. I really liked Zootopia. And I think it was one of those movies that you wish you had seen as a kid. Yeah. What about you, Iman? Do you have any honorable mentions? I do. I have one. And this is Don't Think Twice, the Mike Birbiglia movie. Oh, cool. I made it sound like there's a colon after Don't Think Twice. <laughs> it is a movie by Mike Birbiglia that is not part of the title. Um, I had actually heard this movie promoted a ton on all the podcasts that I listened to. It's a movie about an improv troupe in mm -hmm. New York, and all of them are applying to what in the television show is essentially the SNL equivalent. Oh, is so there just one part? There there are spots. Okay. They know that there are auditions coming up, but of course the tension in this whole movie is who's going to be applying as partners, who is going to be mm. applying on their own, which one of them is going to make it. Uh, the Some of the drama of this movie arises when someone, a scout, comes to their improv uh, performance and the movie did a really good job of teasing out the tensions between a group of creatives all trying to be authentic and trying to do it for the sake of the art. Huh, it sounds like another movie we're gonna talk about shortly. Yeah, <laughs> it was just, it was a really interesting movie and the way that it teased out those tensions. I, it didn't make it onto my top five, but also uh, Keegan-Michael Key is in it and he was great. <laughs> That's He's all I'm going to say. He's always great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's dive right into our top five lists. Last time, our TV lists pretty much lined up identically, but we had a few differences when it came to movies. So how about we just name each of our lists first and then break them down in order to uh, share what we liked about them. So should we do start with number one and then go down to number five? That's okay, good. what were your top five movies of 2016? All right, number one was Moonlight. Number two was La La Land, uh, quickly followed by or on the same level as Fences. Nice. Number four was The Nice Guys. And number five, again, another tie, Southside With You and Sing Street. Nice. What was your five? Okay, mine is similar, but there are a few differences toward the end. Number one was Moonlight. Yes. Number two, La La Land. Number three, Fences. Number four, Hell or High Water. 
And number five, the nice guys. Okay, so not too different. Um, We've mentioned some of these movies in previous episodes of our podcast, but haven't discussed most of them because they all came out in the last few months of the year. Yeah. So let's go down the list and get into some of the details. We can start out with a movie that was number one for both of us, undeniably one of the best movies of 2016, and that is Moonlight. Yeah. If you haven't heard about this movie, Moonlight is a story of a young man's struggle to find himself told across three defining chapters in his life as he experiences the ecstasy, pain, and even the beauty of falling in love while grappling with his own sexuality. Yes, such a beautifully shot movie, incredibly touching. It felt real, raw, very personal. It is just great. Yeah, and it's interesting because the story itself was really simple, but like you said, it was incredibly moving. Visually, it was stunning to watch with really powerful imagery that definitely left a lasting impression, and also the performances particularly by actors like Marshall Ali, felt really authentic. Yeah, I think some criticism that I had heard, and this isn't even really criticism, but the movie does depict uh, a man struggling with his sexuality, his homosexuality, and some people have described this movie as one that heterosexuals feel really impressed to say that they like. Um, I can see that, but... This movie, for me, wasn't even really about that. It was more about what you mentioned before, about just a young man's struggle to find himself in growing up in poverty with... There's a lot of drama with his mom. Mm -hmm. This movie was what I wanted out of a movie that came out a few years ago, Boyhood. Oh, interesting. That was one that purported to be about growing up, but... In retrospect, and even at the time, I didn't love it and everyone was obsessed with it. But in retrospect, I feel I can say I didn't like it because it felt just... My first instinct is to say too white and that sounds so bad, but it wasn't. It was not a woke movie. It just kind of existed in its own terms. And this one felt like it had a purpose. It felt more unique. It felt unique. And in terms of its emotional connection and just overwhelming staying power, it was it was really great. Also, unlike Boyhood, three different actors played the main character in Moonlight as opposed to Boyhood, who... Basically came back to the same actors came back to film the same movie over a period of over 12 years they filmed Boyhood and even watching it that was impressive but that gimmick kind of overshadowed the actual story Hmm. whereas with Boyhood they chose three different actors they didn't even look that much alike but I was not bothered by it at all it felt like they were putting the acting and the storytelling first and I respected that so much about it it was easily number one yeah i and i think it's definitely the front runner for best picture awards for sure yeah i'd also recommend listening to uh an episode of code switch in which they interview the creator Hmm. uh yeah barry jenkins barry jenkins really great interview where they talk about how the movie was based on a lot of personal experience and knowing that going into it heightened the experience for me Nice. So let's talk about another movie that's also gotten a lot of buzz, 
Number two on both our lists was La La Land. Yes. For anyone that hasn't heard of it, La La Land tells the story of Mia, who is an aspiring actress, played by Emma Stone, and Sebastian, a dedicated jazz musician, who is played by Ryan Gosling. These are two artists struggling to make ends meet in modern-day Los Angeles, and it's an original musical about the pain and joy of pursuing your dreams, somewhat similar to Don't Think Twice, as we mentioned earlier. Right. In terms of its storyline, I'd say the concept, again, is pretty straightforward. The two major characters are artists struggling with striking a balance between authenticity and the reality of having to make a living in LA, but I'd say the movie's uniqueness and all the hype surrounding it really comes into play with its director, Damien Chazelle, who was previously known for directing Whiplash. He's a really young director who has an incredible talent for infusing his love of music into his work, and I think that's a large part of the success of this movie. I mean, Chazelle just knows how to film musicians in a really captivating way. Mm -hmm. And this film was definitely a joyous celebration of classic Hollywood. It was really fun to watch, and it's so showy and elaborate in terms of its visual style, its choreography, and its gorgeous LA scenery that I think it's definitely worth watching in theaters. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that point. It was a musical, and going into it, I wasn't aware of the fact that it was as musical as it was. (laughs) I thought it would be something more like Whiplash, where music is a background thing, and no, this is a full song and dance production. But that, in a sense, made it even more of a, a fun escape. I would say it vacillated on occasion between being sickly sweet and then somewhat self aware, which I'd have to credit Damien Chazelle with. But I'm going to be honest, if I went into this movie not knowing that it was Damien Chazelle, I don't know if there were parts that I would have liked as much. Hmm. There were points where I would be like, eh, it's okay. And then I'd remember, wait, this is the guy that brought us Whiplash. (laughs) And I'd convince myself to like it more. I will say, I don't think any other director could have pulled off this movie's ending. Of course, I'm not going to say anything about it, but it is a beautifully orchestrated ending. Mm. Um, Yeah. But, yeah. I... I also can't really place my finger on what didn't work with this movie. Mm -hmm. The only thing I kept going back to was the fact that, like you said, it was kind of a fantasy. And the fact that it came out when it did made it more blatantly so, almost to the point where its unattainability was palpable. So yeah, it's not a perfect movie, and that's why it's not number one. But I personally refuse to be cynical about it, like a lot of critics have been, and I instead choose to let myself be immersed in the joy it brought during the time it lasted. Yeah, I've gone time and time again back to the soundtrack. I really loved the music. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, even, I mean... It's fun to hear Ryan Gosling sing. (laughs) I even liked him singing in Blue Valentine. But yeah, this movie, it did, in retrospect, when I, the more I pick at the movie, it's just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, it was a little navel-gazing in nature. It's kind of like the artist where it's a movie about movies. Mm -hmm. But the acting was cute. The music was fun. And 
Yeah, it's important that we give ourselves permission in an age of movies like Moonlight and Fences to enjoy a little fluff on the side. Yeah. So on that note, let's talk about a meaty movie like Fences. Yes, that I actually struggled a lot with in terms of not putting Fences as my number two. So I would actually say Fences is tied with La La Land. It's just apples and oranges. Yeah, it's hard to compare. So the next movie, obviously number three for me and maybe number two slash number three for you is Fences, which is based off of an August Wilson Pulitzer Prize winning play. It's a movie starring and directed by Denzel Washington, which centers on a black garbage collector named Troy Maxson in 1950s Pittsburgh. This movie took me completely by surprise. I hadn't seen the trailer going into it or knew much about it beyond the fact that it was based on an August Wilson play. There's a Here's another podcast plug, a really great episode of Studio 360 on August Wilson. So I was somewhat familiar with him as a playwright and with the intentions going into the writing of this play. Mm -hmm. But man, just as a movie, I mean, I could pick it apart for an hour. It's symbolism. uh, It's... It's writing, the it, the conversion from play to movie and how that factored into it. But instead, I'm just going to say go see it and see it in the theaters because it deserves support and one's undivided attention because its representation of race, especially in a time like this, is just so sadly relevant given that it takes place in 1950s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have to agree. This was the most emotional movie-going experience I had all year. I started tearing up about 30 minutes in and basically didn't stop crying until the end. The writing, as you said, was of course wonderful and profound. And yeah, the performances by Denzel and Viola Davis were absolutely amazing. You, first off, agreed. But secondly, you... You said that it's an emotional movie-going experience, and I completely agree, but I think the fact that it was not about a really tense time, Mm -hmm. like a Selma or 12 Years a Slave, it was completely within a Black American family's dynamics. It didn't revel in the contrast or the conflict between whites and blacks. And I think the fact that it managed to still be super emotional and convey that experience was a testament to the good writing and made it feel just so necessary. Yeah, the characters really felt fleshed out. And I was surprised by how much I found myself identifying with a lot of characters, not necessarily within myself, but with people I knew. Yeah, and that to me was some of the most moving Uh, some of the most moving content. Right. The only critique, and it's not even a critique, is that it felt kind of more like a play than a movie, especially in terms of the dialogue. Toward the beginning, it took me a few minutes to get used to the pacing, but once you are pulled into the story, man, it's an incredible experience, and I'm really glad this movie was finally adapted into a film from a play so that more people could be exposed to it. Yeah, agreed. Go watch it. (laughs) Number four. What's your number four? 
Okay, for me, as I mentioned earlier, number four was Hell or High Water, which is about a pair of Texas brothers, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster, who come together after years divided to rob branches of the bank threatening to foreclose on their family land. It was essentially the big short, but set in Texas, and with way more guns. <laughs> so imagine the big short meets, I don't know, No Country for Old Men or something. Oh gosh. <laughs> but I really liked this movie because it provided a thoughtful critique on corporate greed and broken financial systems while still maintaining its action-packed Western genre. I really liked it and found myself reflecting on it long after I'd seen it in theaters. First off, I had no idea what the movie was about, and that actually sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, my number four isn't nearly as dramatic. I liked Nice Guys. We recorded a whole podcast on it, so listeners will know that we enjoyed its buddy cop vibe and loved seeing the fun Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling who was on this list twice, I'm realizing. That's right. Had throughout. The fact that it took place in the 70s and came out when it did, which was somewhat earlier in the year, I actually think that allowed it to dodge some of the whole this movie is too sweet or this movie is out of touch dilemma. And it's proven itself to be thoroughly rewatchable since. Yeah, so, I a, agree. A plus, would recommend. Uh, I actually put Nice Guys as my number five cool. for very similar reasons. I also wanted to put a movie that wasn't so Oscar-worthy. Yeah. You know, a more run-of-the-mill type movie. And this one actually really surprised me because it was just really fun and silly to watch. And we did see it in the movies a couple times, actually. Yeah. Uh, also, it's interesting to compare the version of L.A. presented in The Nice Guys versus the version of L.A. in La La Land because they couldn't be more different. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting point about La La Land and Nice Guys. I mean, if you throw in Drive, you'll have a, a Gosling L.A. trinity. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can... I can already see Costco having the, the triple movie pack <laughs> in a few years. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. My number five slot is actually occupied by two movies because obviously I was super indecisive with my list. Uh, I couldn't choose. So I'm going to say both Southside with You uh -huh. and Sing Street. So I've mentioned both of these. These are two indie movies about love in the 80s, the first being about Barack and Michelle Obama's first date in the south side of Chicago, and the second about Irish teens that start a band to help the lead singer impress a girl. <laughs> uh, looking back, both were maybe a little too cute at times, but I do think they are so worth checking out, especially Southside with you as we collectively stomach Obama's goodbye. <sighs> yes. And what does it say about 2016 that we're complaining about movies being too cute? Oh my gosh. Well. <laughs> we gotta stay woke. We gotta stay woke. I did think it was interesting that, what is it, three out of my top five at least were movies that had maybe one, maybe one white character in them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Given that last year, as you mentioned, was the year of Oscars So White, I do think 
I do think I'm encouraged by the increase in representation, or maybe it's just the increase in our awareness of these movies. Yeah, I agree. All right, so there you have it, our favorite movies of the year. That does it for this mini episode of Screensaver. Be sure to check in over the next few days as we release our top albums and a special episode in which we discuss our top letdowns of 2016. That's going to be a big one. Number one, Trump. (laughs) And decide who won the year. Not Trump. (laughs) It's going to be great. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us on our top movies list, be sure to connect with us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. And if you want to hear more detailed thoughts on some of the movies we discussed today, be sure to check out our other episodes on iTunes and maybe rate us. I don't know. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. The only critique, the only (laughs) critique.